Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Here's a challenge for you. If I gave you the opportunity to take only one photo with your smartphone that encompassed your whole brand, that told the story of you in a way that speaks to your audience so that they are fully engaged, not only engaged, but motivated to take action, the action that you seek to help them take, what would you include? What would be in the frame of that photo? If you're struggling to think about that right now, there's good news. That photo doesn't have to encompass your full brand, your full story. We are different people to different people, as my guest today says. However, there are a few little things that you can do to tell a visual story, even if you have one shot. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What's up, storytellers? Welcome back to the Storytelling Lab podcast. This is episode 140, 140 episodes. We have been doing this and each time with a unique storyteller, a unique lens into the world of storytelling. And today my guest is Alana Sparrow, and I am very excited about her unique take on storytelling. Alana is a creative director and an all-around creative and a personal brand expert. And I first saw her content on LinkedIn where she was talking about exactly the scenario that I placed uh, in front of you just a few seconds ago of how you can use visual storytelling to tell the story of your brand, to connect with your audience. Now, my version of visual storytelling is video. That's how I've all, I'm a filmmaker. That's how I've always told my stories. But I really love that concept of thinking about, no, your headshots, your branded photos should all be telling a story. And you should be conscious of what that story is, and it should be understood and received by your audience so that each piece of content that you create, no matter if it's 2D or 3D or if it's moving pictures or if it's a still graphic, it should be able to resonate with your audience. And if you're not able to do that, something is not right. And it probably starts with you understanding how to represent yourself and your brand. Alana has this great line that she says in the show, I should be able to see a soul. I should be able to feel emotion in that photo. 
These are the things that she helps her clients think about when they're creating their visuals, when they're creating their branding. It's so easy to neglect the small things that we can do to enhance our brand. We know the the big things and we get caught up trying to expect ourselves to be able to perform in a way that a bigger brand can with their budget and their resources and not understanding that, hey, branding is not just putting money behind uh, social media ads. It's everything that you do. As I like to say, it's the story that others tell about you. Alana is an all-around creative, and she has always been this way. I love that her journey towards being a creative, towards being an artist, started at such an early age. And because of that, she has a completely versatile perspective on the world of creativity, of personal branding. And this episode is chock full of gems for you to apply it to your personal brand strategy today. So here is my conversation with Alana Sparrow, and I hope that you love it. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, award-winning filmmaker and writer, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. My name is Rain Bennett. I am your host, and my job is to help you deepen your connections, increase your sales, and serve your audiences better. Every Tuesday morning, I send out a quick storytelling tip to my newsletter subscribers. I show you techniques I've learned along my journey and used in my own stories, as well as those of my clients. But most importantly, I leave you with tangible takeaways that you can apply to your brand storytelling immediately. Oh, well, actually, more importantly than that, it's free. If this would help you, sign up for the newsletter at rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips. Alana, welcome to the Storytelling Lab. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm very excited. Uh, we don't know each other that well, so I'm really excited about that because I will, this is probably no secret, uh, maybe all podcasters do this. I started this for a lot of selfish reasons, right? So I, I like to learn just as much as, as my audience does. Uh, so that was one of the reasons that I saw some of your content and immediately just thought you had a really fresh take on storytelling. That's what excites me about the show so much is yeah. that it's not just storytelling for this. We talk to all different kinds of storytellers about the power of stories, how we can use stories in, in our overall uh, personal and, and professional lives. So I guess let's start from the beginning. You and I talked before we started the show. You're also a documentary uh, filmmaker, um, among other things like <laughs> I am too, which I, I want to dive into. Yeah. But how would you like, what is your background when you go to your roots? What do you identify as in terms of your profession? Well, I think it still goes back to that visual storyteller. You know, I'm formally trained as a designer. So communication, you know, that visual communication, um, breaking down words into visuals so that we can read on you know, different levels. And I came later in life through my business partner and husband into um, filmmaking or through video. So that aspect of it kind of, again, you know, came a bit later, but that's my roots really is in that 2d 
communication. Right. And what I love about video is it brings, has the potential to bring all of those things together. That's a good point. Uh, can I ask um, how you navigate working with uh, with your partner, with your husband? <laughs> Is that too personal? Because uh, it's got to be have its own challenges, but also really cool that you can do that. Yeah, you know, we came uh, together kind of almost through business. So that made it easier. And we yeah. have really complementary styles, but 100% um, people don't usually know when we come in together unless we tell them that we're husband and wife. But it usually on the set, it usually ends up popping out. Yeah. Is yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that casualness and candor that you get yeah. with one another, or if you're frustrated, you know, it you might manage it a little bit differently than yeah, light movie. light hand on the shoulder. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. That I've yeah. held his hand a few times in meetings and vice versa. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's beautiful. Uh, I think it for sure must have helped that uh, that you came together through business. But um, let's go back to to the visual aspect of storytelling. I totally agree. Video is this uh, amalgamation of all the beautiful forms and mediums. Um, I was really struck by the re the post that I saw that you that you posted uh on linkedin was about visual storytelling specifically on like branded photos so people think oh. of headshots and things like that that's what caught my eye and the stance was and i'll paraphrase and summarize in just one sentence but it was essentially like your branded photos can and should tell a story but i don't want i want i want you to put it in your own words because i thought it was very interesting take and so basically the implication is if I take a, a photo for my website for, you know, headshot, a, a proper headshot or not, mm -hmm. you can convey store a story, your story about your brand through that. How does one approach that? How that approach, how we approach that is it depends on, you know, for, first off, it depends on the brand. So if we're talking about a corporate brand versus a individual brand, um, we work a lot with corporations that they want to be perceived as personable. They want to be perceived as friendly, as a brand. So that doesn't necessarily mean that every person we photograph, that that's their natural stance or how they want to be conveyed. But so we, what we do with them is we really, we spend a lot of time talking with people in advance of their portraits, if we're taking portraits, but if we're working with somebody with a personal brand, obviously we've gone through the whole strategy piece and we understand what it is that they want to put forward as their personal brand and what their most natural state is. And I will tell you almost 90, it, it's high, like 95% of most people tell me they hate having their photograph taken. They hate how they look in photographs. And that's really heartbreaking to me because you know, it's why, like, what, what is that? And I think part of it is that we look at this still moment in time and we think that it encompasses everything that we are and it doesn't, it 100% doesn't. We can have so many, we have different personas as individuals. We are different people to different people and we can show up differently depending on where we are. And I think that that is something that when we take photos, we really go through, what I love to do is go through the exercise of those different personas to really get to the heart of who a person is and what communicates their energy, 
the best. And that's what makes, you know, portraiture really exciting for me and especially with, with branding because there's so many opportunities. Absolutely. Uh, I think you said we are different people for different people. Is that accurate? Yeah. I love that. It's so true. However, we often think that we can't or shouldn't do that. Maybe at least with branding, right. uh, um, you know, we think we have to be this for everybody, but I think that's such a, such an accurate and important point to make is a, you know, we are personally and professionally the way we move. So I think that's freeing if people can, can, can really understand that. What are some simple tips? Like where, where can someone, if they're taking a photo um, or they have a photo session, what are some of the, the pieces of the photo that can be manipulated? You know, I don't love that word for the connotation, but um to enhance their the, their story, like emerging from that photograph, mm -hmm. is that making sense? Yeah, it, yeah. And so, the relationship really has to start with the photographer. Hmm. I never expect a subject to come in and know what to do. That's not their job. I mean, unless they're a paid professional model, then I might have a different expectation because they're showing up differently. They know how to bring a different character, a different persona. That's their job. But when it's not a professional model, it's really the, the photographer is the professional. They're the ones that can best bring that out. And some are really good at it and others are less so because they're more technical. They're more concerned about just the lighting and or maybe they take a very sort of traditional approach over and over and over. And even with a traditional approach, I still feel like emotion really should come through. I should be able to see a soul behind the eyes. Even if it's serious, I still need to feel emotion. And, you know, I had somebody ask on that post, is it always required to smile? And it's not. But what you can do, like with a big, you know, toothy smile or, you know, even a closed mouth smile, we go through a whole different series because some people are very self-conscious of, you know, their smiles for all different kinds of reasons, or it might exaggerate features on their face that make for, you know, maybe a less balanced image of them. I don't want to say it's unattractive, but yeah, maybe it is. <laughs> I, I definitely have taken many, many unattractive photos, but where I'm going with that is that we do micro expressions. So if you're standing there and you're very serious, I have different techniques and tricks to express with the eyes because you can smile strictly with your eyes. I don't have to move my mouth at all. Absolutely. In order for that to happen. When we were just talking about, um, you know, this saying of, of uh, you know, this still moment uh, doesn't have to encompass all of us. This is kind of a fundamental question. Gen generalist or specialist? Me? We can start there, <laughs> then but then let's then but then let's dive into it a little bit because it's also it also can be a philosophy, right? But of course it depends on the person. But let's start let's start with you, but I really want to dive into the tr you know, the preconceived notions and then maybe characteristics because you know I'll, I'll ask you first. Yeah. How do you? Okay. I just need clarification on the question. So sure. when you're saying generalist or specialist, are you talking about 
uh, my uh, uh, like specialty in my work, or I just want to get clarity on. Yeah, I am talking about the idea that some people might have that they need to do this and be this oh, and yes. be and specialize in that and, and, and that only versus what I think that you are, which is similar to me, which is like, I, I do this kind of broad thing in a lot of different aspects of it, but some people think that that would, would or could spread, spread somebody thin and they wouldn't really mm -hmm. be able to do deep work and focus on, on any one of those channels. Sure. And I think it depends on the person, totally. you know, because, because some people excel very well being a generalist because they truly can bring different things to the table because maybe they've worn multiple hats. You know, I'm a creative director. So what that means is I wear, a lot of hats. I've held a lot of different roles throughout my career. That's what's required of a creative director. So if I were going out and, you know, getting a corporate job, that probably be would be one of the top roles I would go after. That is not for everyone. And for for some people, niching in is better. In our business, we've chosen not to niche because we can bring those same qualities and ex level of expertise to different sectors. And frankly, having experience in multiple different sectors, we it's al allowed us to really elevate the work that we would bring to a sector that might be unrelated. So let's say, for instance, doing work in a medical space, you have to bring in a lot of empathy and you're kind of pulling that out. Now, how do you bring that over to engineers? And why does that matter that engineers need to be empathetic? Well, it does because we're people and all people need to be empathetic. So I don't know if that answered the question fully, but that's <laughs> it, it gave. Yeah, it gave me a, it gave me an answer. Yes. No, I mean, none of this is like, uh, you know, X is the answer, right? I mean, this yeah. is all just yeah. big. I'm not a hardline person about many things. Totally. Yeah. I mean, we're going to talk more about that because you, I've <laughs> seen that stance in in some of your content, and so I want to keep because neither am I. But even someone in the comments has said like, I would love to be a generalist, but yes, I've heard otherwise for the longest time, Alana. In my world, I like compartmentalize different parts of my identity that actually have this very interesting and unique intersection if you just let them go and let them organically run into each other but for much of my life i'm like you know pushing them apart as far right. as i can and it's like why are you doing that well so somebody or you know something made me feel that way um so uh when did you what was the moment where you felt like this was the path that you wanted to take i don't want to say you're calling but you know, did you always anticipate being not necessarily being a creative director, but being right. a creative working in the space that you do? Mm. Yeah, that's an easy question. My path was very straight lined. You know, I was a, a little artist as a young kid. That sounds so cliche, but I truly I, I was. And in um, in high school, I didn't take art classes at, in high school. I took art classes at the community college. Nice. And then one of the high school uh, but I didn't understand that there was a path to earning a living as an artist. I never, I didn't get that until a high school art teacher said, you're incredibly talented, apply for this scholarship and go. And it was graphic design. And I didn't know what that was. And I'll, I'll tell you this, in my sophomore year, I switched my major to painting because I said, I'm not doing any more cutouts of blow dryers. This is not going to be my bag. This is not for me. This stinks. 
So I switched to painting. I got really good at painting and then I came to my senses and realized I actually do want to earn money and I, I don't know, I had a change of heart. So I ended up leaving there with kind of dual degree, a bunch of extra credits. And so I did go into graphic design and I really was able to find my way. And I wanted the creative director role because I saw in one of my very first jobs what that role did and meant. And I was just, I want that. That's the crown that I want. And I liked the control that you had in every aspect of, yeah, you know, of what you were doing. Absolutely. Uh, I think too many or too few advisors in our lives don't historically, maybe it's changed now, don't really help, you know, creative and artistically driven youth understand that there are plenty of paths to you know financial stability right it's always like oh what are you going to do with that like get a job you can do your painting at night took me a long time to figure out and maybe there's more options now with you know tech and social media and all the things that have you know Mm -hmm. come into the world and the market but you know i that always frustrated me whereas like there are now i see there are so many different paths that you can use your creative skills to make a living a good living Yes. Well, if I could digress for a moment, when I got that art scholarship, my dad said, no way. Absolutely not. He he was a boomer. He's, you know, there's no way. He thought that was the dumbest idea I had ever come to the table with. And he finally, he relented and said, I tell you what, I'll support this endeavor. If you go get a trade first, your senior year. And I, and I said, what's a trade? And he said, go talk to your guidance counselor. <laughs> so I went in and I talked to the guidance counselor and I said, you know, I didn't know. And she gives me this list and I said, well, I'm not going to be a mechanic. And then, she, and the only thing that was even remotely interesting to me on the list was beauty school. I said, okay, I'll go do that. So I did. It's the best advice my dad ever gave me because not only did I get licensed, I worked my way through college. I made money, regular money, while working through college and in my summers. And then when I entered into the market in the first giant recession of 1990, I had a job doing that until I got my first gig at an agency. And it was just the best advice. And yeah, so anyway, that's a funny story. Absolutely. Shout out to Pops. And I would probably bet... I would probably wager that some of the things you learned in that school, you're still applying to the creative and branding work that you do today. Absolutely. But the the one thing that I did really learn is the return on the investment in your education. So I ended up going into higher ed. I taught for seven years as a professor of graphic design. Hmm. And at one point in my life, I really thought this is it. I'm hanging up industry, only freelancing. And I'm going, this is it. This is my path. What I realized once I got in there, because we are pumping too many kids into these formal um, uh, liberal arts educations that have zero aptitude for it, they're not prepared for it, they have zero desire to be there, and we're pulling them out of the trades and putting them into places where they don't really belong, and that it's expensive. And so if you're there and you leave with some flaky degree or you barely get out and we've oversaturated the market with designers, and how are you going to get the ROI back on that? I got the ROI back on my beauty school the first year it was bought and paid for. So 
I don't know. I think I hijacked your question, but um, I'm sorry about that. This is a dance for two, Alana. You are 50% of this conversation. By all means, hijack away. Totally fine. Totally yeah. um, so I am really... I love the story about your father. I also love the the art teacher. I mean, we always have these kind of these mentors, right? Of mm -hmm. storytelling, right? That that help us through these transitional stages. Who else? Who 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 inspires you now? Now, oh my goodness! Besides I, me, yeah. No, it's it seems really cliche, but my <laughs> my husband and my partner. I mean, we Beautiful. truly do inspire each other, and we're, we 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 share this love of storytelling so deeply and like that's just such a hard thing to come by and to really have that person that you know goes back and forth i have some other friends and colleagues that we're kind of on shared journeys like i've got one that we're um uh learning ai together and so you know our our email or not emails but our uh text messages are filled with batting things back and forth and you know we go on these ai battles together and so we just i just surround myself with people that are just really inspiring this brings up a, a an interesting follow-up question how important to the creative process is a supportive community like that um are you or is it something that hey some people can do it in a vacuum or like isolated or is that camaraderie and that kind of support and cheering each other on how how important is that well geez if there's anybody that can do it in a vacuum and be successful then they need to box that and sell it because <laughs> I mean, that's i don't know i, I need my people yeah. i you know because creating work in your own head it's really hard to, um, what do you call that? Um, be discerning, you know, you can kind of fall in love with your own ideas and, you know, that's really, I can be really guilty of that. I get very hung up on, you know, it's like, Oh, I like those words. I like those three words, but then I'll show it to my husband. He's like, I don't understand what you're saying. It's like, it makes no sense, <laughs> you know? So, or, um, whether it's design or what have you, because you know, we just don't, we can't always see the things that are right in front of us because we're fixated on, you know, the other shiny object on the page. So absolutely, collaboration is very, uh, and feedback is a, is a critical part of my creative process. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's everything. It's interesting. You know, I've always been kind of a, you know, solopreneur wing it, build a plane as you fly it type of guy. And now I'm a co-founder at a, at a new startup, which is like first time I've been with a real team, you know, really building something with a lot of uh, opportunity and the lessons I learn are, you know, a huge bucket of them every day, but especially that one about feedback. Like I might have an idea and if I'm in by myself, I'll blindly go along with it because I think it's a great idea. And now with proper feedback, it either validates that good idea or it says, hey, you might not be right. <laughs> you right. know, let's listen to your audience. Let's listen to the market. Let's listen to your other teammates, et cetera. So, yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. It's, it's so, a, also it makes it a less lonely experience because oof. being a solo entrepreneur is incredibly lonely, especially if you're one that's strictly online. Um, I mean, there could be personalities out there that don't agree with that, but I'm, I'm an intro, uh, intro, outro, um, tend to be more of the intro. Um, but I still need that connection to other people. 
life, like in real life. Yeah, we all do. That's I've got a, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs pyramid right beside me. And, you know, connection and belonging is like one of the biggest ones. Right. Um, no, that's so true. Uh, uh, being a solopreneur is lonely. I almost cried just now when you said that. Um, (laughs) let's, uh, let's get into some, to some of the nitty gritty nuts and bolts. How early should one think about brand consciously think about brand? If you're starting something new, a new project, a new business, is it ever too early to start having those questions? Because it does pull you away and some of your time and resources away, uh, from, from what you're doing, but it's also very important. Any thoughts on like where it falls in the sequencing? It's it should be, geez, the moment you come up with an idea, it should be parallel instantly in my mind, because an idea that just drives forward without the that time spent understanding what are those values like? What are you doing with that idea? Who is that for? You know that certain you know, that kind of thing, and what sort of Space, do you want it to have out there in the world? And if you're thinking about the branding aspect of it, at the same time you're developing the idea, it will be so much more cohesive and developed. I've seen so many people go so far out of the gate with zero consideration, you know, to the brand or vice versa. They're so focused on like what is the brand, but their idea is still you know, floundering out there. And that's a very difficult thing to brand. We've, we've encountered that where it's like, you want us to brand, but you don't even really have your idea totally worked out. So they really are something that needs to be kind of done on a parallel, if that makes sense. And I'm not talking about the visual identity, which is a deeper down the, the, the line. Yeah, and a part of brand, right? Not right, not, right. not brand, but but uh, people often conflate that. You know, they they often they don't understand that. Like, you know, if you think of it like marketing, so marketing is our umbrella, and then you have all these other things that happen underneath marketing, like personal branding, and you know, branding itself falls under that can fall under that umbrella. Well, branding is that overarching, and all kinds of things under you know exist underneath brand, brand and branding. It's Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you, you see that all the time where people aren't quite sure where that fits. But I think, like you said, 
you can't focus so much on on that alone or the idea and the execution alone and if you do it right they're both informing each other one hand is helping the other so like if you have a question about the idea brand might have the answer and vice versa so I I totally agree. I think that's important. That's what I'm learning in life and business, you know, at least is that it's never, you know, heart or head. It's always a combination of of the two. It's never art and science. It's the combination of the two um, and really finding where that where that line is Mm -hmm. Uh, to that to that point. You have a business Mm -hmm. and you have a, a, a strong personal brand. Yes. How do you navigate that in terms of how you show up, in terms of how and when and how much they intersect? Um, you know, how do you determine how much is that o- that overlap? What's a um, personal brand post or a business post, right? Is it, you know, I know a lot of people struggle with this. In fact, if we could really simplify the question, it's like, I know people have struggled with, should I start, you know, Rain Bennett Instagram profile or six second stories uh, Instagram Mm -hmm. profiles? And then, of course, you can expand that into much bigger. Yeah. So for me, they're one and the same. There is not there. There's no differentiation. I am the face of my brand, my business. That's it. You know, even though my business has a name and I have a partner, he's also it's the same for him. Um, He's less of a he's definitely super behind the scenes. Like we, we, we often joke that if I dropped it tomorrow, you know, <laughs> but he, well, the, he'd be fine, but he's just not, he's, he's much the more kitchen would be working, but there would be no, no, no server. He's never even been on social media. I mean, you know, he's just, that's not really, that's not his thing. That's why he has me. And that's totally okay. Not everybody needs to be out there. Right. They just don't, it's not required. And, but as far as how I show up, I've always just showed up as as me, as my brand, that it, they truly are one and the same. And in terms of how you manage it on social, you have to pay attention to how social handles business versus personal profiles. They are friendlier to personal profiles. So you need to leverage that. And you, you should have a presence for your business, but I don't put a ton of energy into my business profiles because the platforms just don't give them that much love. So I only have so much time and energy to go around. And so I choose to focus on the personal. Absolutely. And people want to identify with and connect with people, right? It's Yeah, we do business with people. We don't do business with brands or widgets or boxes or, you know, we do business with people. Do you think that changes or maybe the question is how much does that change when the business is not necessarily just an extension of you, but you like you, you know, like me, I'm a co-founder. I have a team, you know, it's a business that is separate me, but there's certainly alignment because it's in the storytelling space. Um, So we stand for similar things. How much does that change if you, if there's a company uh, that you're a piece of or a part of, and then also have a personal brand. Yeah. So I think a really good way to, uh, to do that is, so if you're a founder of that company, I still feel like you kind of sit in the same space that I am. If you're a founder, even if you have a broader team, you can still, you're still the face of that company and it's still woven because you created it. But let's say you're the CEO or chair of a bank where it's, they become larger sort of amalgamations. <laughs> that is different. However, 
so being able to put so much of your personal self into that, it has to be in alignment with the brand because they're kind of running the show as well. But we don't, I don't know that we see nearly enough of personal branding happening with larger companies. I think it's, it's, they either just kind of sit back or they post a lot of fluffy stuff that isn't really there to sort of drive business revenue or talk about, you know, the brand or elevate the brand. It's more of, you know, oh, we're, I'm going to this networking thing or, oh, we were out on the golf course or, oh, we're, mm-hmm. you know, it, and that's frankly, that's how I lived on LinkedIn for years. I never used LinkedIn the way I use it. I'm using it now. I used it solely to say, hey, clap for us. We just did this project, clap for our client. We just did this project or, you know, I'm walking for this challenge or what have you. It was very superficial. You know, it's more of just a um, scrapbook. Yeah, that's nicely said. (laughs) I think at that point, Alana, I think it becomes like in their minds, and obviously I'm speculating, like a risk thing. Like, I don't want, you know, everything, once you start to have a big machine operating, then it's like, we don't, no, don't want to mess with that. You know, it's risky, or I might say the wrong thing or et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But I agree with you. I would love to see more of that. And then, of course, you do have the big name personal brands that have a business that probably operates just because of that, that, that personal brand, you know, the Oprah's and the Gary Mm -hmm. V's of the world. But I agree. Like, I would love to see more content. Uh, Maybe they're just more behind the scenes folks. Yeah, it could be. I think part of it is, I think risk is a big part of it. I think time is a big part of it. It's really busy. I mean, producing content, it's extremely busy. So I think that those people, and even myself, you know, I'm going to get to a point too with this. It's been an interesting exercise, but um, once it starts doing its job, which my job is not content creation, that is not my job. There are a lot of solopreneurs on LinkedIn that that is their primary job or driving job is creating content for themselves or for other people. That's not my focus. That's not really what I want to do. I'm off doing other, you know, other things that, I, that I'm selling. So it's, it's an interesting take. And so I think a lot of those other CEOs, that's what they're, that is what they are busy doing. But I think fear comes in from not knowing, right? You know, so if you get yourself educated on what that should look like, it also comes without strategy. So I think you minimize risk when you have strategy and you know what your voice is, you know what your story is, you know what the goal is. It's less scary and it's also less risky. Absolutely. Uh, Speaking of LinkedIn, um, you know, it seems like you spend uh, a lot of time, you know, at least on social media, on LinkedIn and and Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, and you told us that uh, you, you used to approach uh, LinkedIn differently. Mm-hmm. So my question is, how do you show up in both of those spaces? Is it differently? How do you leverage one versus the other? Is it the complete same and you're just reposting content uh, to the other platform? No, in my situation, they're remarkably different. My uh, Instagram is was started off as just a purely personal channel where I shared art, I, you know, fishing, (laughs) it really didn't have any focus. I used it just as a play space and it kind of, it got hijacked at one point when I started growing out my natural gray hair (laughs) and people just started following me and they loved it. And it just, it went viral. And when I say it got hijacked, it literally got hijacked. And then I decided to 
well, I'll just roll with it. This is a thing. And it ended up becoming this space where all the really important passion things to me in my life, I now had an outlet and audience who gave a shit, if I can say that. But too late now. Yeah. So it was just, and that's just what I've, I've run with that over there. And so now what I'm doing is, and I've always talked about what I do by day. That's part of it. But I can literally talk about anything over there. Nothing is taboo on that channel. And that's what I love about it. LinkedIn, less so. Yeah, that's so freeing, it sounds like. And also pulls pieces of you out that weren't work-related, that are still part of you. And now we're back at the point where we were just making earlier about people follow and relate to other people. You're just being yourself. Um, That's, yeah, that's really... um, that's really interesting and yes. awesome. So, so in some ways, it's like this live diary. I mean, it's not that I don't get that crazy, but it's because I'm not like writing and posting every day. There was during COVID, I did a lot because I had a lot of time on my hands, but it really is an opportunity for me to broach onto subjects and topics that we might make films about or things that impact us socially. And I go there, but it is it doesn't come with its own cost risks and um, uh, exhaustion. Yeah. As you start deep conversation like that, you better follow through. Mm. You better be prepared to have the full conversation. And that takes time. And it's very tiring to do that in a written format um, where you're not live and you can't have that very quick discourse back and forth it's a very different kind of conversation that's um, uh, kind of analog. Sometimes it's live, but it's very difficult to keep up with every single comment. And, you know, so I have tempered where I'll go because it took too much from me. Mm. So, yeah. Boundaries are important. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> uh, you know what's so funny and coincidental is just this morning. Are you familiar with the creator Coco Moco? Um, she's real heavy on TikTok, but also Instagram, and and she makes me uh, trend content, trend predictions, and social media predictions, and to, like very accurate of where she thinks social media or okay. where trends no, are going. I, I was thinking of somebody else that had a similar name, but no. I'm Got not. it. And 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 often on personal brands. And just this morning, I was watching her. She she she's incredible with her her like she's always just ahead of the of the curve in in terms of where media is going. And today, her post was about. Um, about you know specifically hair choices in personal brands i don't know if you know the hip-hop artist ice spice she's got this big orange like curly hair okay so she showed her like when she was in high school and it completely wasn't anything like that and then once she started getting like recognized was when she made that bold choice of changing her hair and so everybody in the comments is like yeah lady gaga when she started and you know Mm -hmm. uh, sia and and in miley cyrus and just started all these examples of like when you make a visual you know, change that makes you stand out, it becomes instantly identifiable. And of course it can change later, but people recognize you for that thing. And it really helps uh, elevate that. And then here you just kind of gave a, you know, a great, a great organic example of that. I just thought it was timely because I had just watched that video today. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's become kind of a signature too, but right. you know, it's really interesting with, with hair and these sort of outwards, outward expressions of ourselves because clothing is that tattoos are that 
makeup, their outward expressions. They are sort of our visual brand identity. Really, if you think of it in that way, that's that's what those are and the opportunities that they present. And so for gray hair, or if somebody chose, like say they're thinning and they choose to shave as yourself. Wait, wait a minute, <laughs> let's not make any assumptions here, Alon. <laughs> But those are those are all those are choices, and they say things about us, right? So when I grew my hair out, I got so many things. You're so brave. You're so this. You're so that. And in many ways, it is because as women, we've been conditioned yeah, to not do those things. It's been okay for men to go gray mostly, but for mm-hmm. women, it's still. I mean, you're seeing more and more take the leap. But every other day, I mean, if I'm out in public, it's every time I'm out in public. Someone says to me, "You're so brave for doing that. I wish I could do it." And they it's think almost it's almost like, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, it no. just sounds like it sounded kind of like a backwards compliment. Uh, you know, maybe I'm misreading that, but it's like it looks so good. I wish I were that brave. Well, no, they genuinely mean it. Yeah, they genuinely mean it. That it's to go through the process because it takes two years mm. to grow your hair from here to like where I am. It's. Yeah. You know, it's not an attractive thing unless, and even if you grow out a little bit and cut your hair, it's like, it's very, it's a thing and it's very public and um, you have people asking you about it. It, you know, it's, it's one of these things that it's a commitment and it, you know, it, you're taking something that's very personal and now it's, it becomes this thing that people feel like they can talk to you about. Yeah, that's yeah. A, that makes so much more sense. I retract my assumption. Uh, I thought it was just the act, but it's the the journey you have to navigate after taking the act. That's actually what's what's brave about it. That's that's so clear. Yeah. After you said that, I appreciate that. More women are becoming comfortable with it. I think they called it the Alana effect. Um, that was that was a joke. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you just stared at me like. <laughs> Oh, like, is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did it. Um, oh my gosh, that was great. Um, yeah, no, that's uh, that's a, a very interesting point, and and uh, I completely completely get that. You posted something. This is a good segue about the evolution of one's personal brand. Uh, I don't know when yeah. it was, not too long ago, yeah. and this is a moment where you you know you're evol- you had a significant leap forward in your, in your evolution. It changed your identity and it made people feel comfortable coming up to you on the streets. Um, let's talk about that conceptually. Uh, should personal brands evolve? When should they evolve? How should they mm-hmm. evolve? If so, I, you know, I want to pull up that post. If you don't mind, I want to reference what I was actually talking about there because I, I do remember that. And I do remember the point that I was making. So if you could, Give me a moment. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, brands, in terms of like personal brands, do we want to stick on um, the topic of personal or do you want to talk about business brands? Well, I think that most of your content, in my opinion, I think really strikes uh, the personal brand topics. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I've chose to focus yeah on I mean that's pretty or... clear so let's stay there because I think this is where mm-hmm. a lot of people struggle and you know what was interesting about 
the topic of the gray hair or the other things you said, the tattoos and the makeup is like, we're kind of back to where we started with like, a, Hey, what's an easy way visually in 2d. Well, that's 3d, but you know what I mean? Like to start to express yourself and tell your story without actually saying it with words. And we kind of right. landed back there. So yeah, I think personal brand. Yeah. So my personal brand evolution is kind of hinged to it's, it's hinged or hitched to my business brand evolving right. and needing to evolve. So this kind of came to be, we had kind of lived and thrived on word of mouth in mm -hmm. our business for 17 years. So frankly, we didn't have to, we did very little. It just worked. We did work and that brought more work. And, you know, we just were very fortunate. And as a marketing person living in and working in that space, I knew at some point the shoe is probably going to drop on this. Like this, <laughs> it's just keeps going, but you know, we just never had to do that. We're out there, we're networking, that sort of thing. But it was not really driving anything. COVID happens. We have to switch because we have video is such a huge part. And, you know, it's two years of delays. And then we finally get back online with that. I have a personal setback in, um, in my family. So that took me offline for almost a year. So when I came back, I'm further behind in my business than I've ever been in 17 years. So now I have to evolve. I have to look at what, options do I have? What resources do I have at my fingertips? And that's where, you know, LinkedIn comes into play. And so putting my personal brand out in a way that I've never really done, I've done that in person, but not in this giant public space, right? Mm -hmm. It's hugely public. So I think evolution it usually ends up happening when there's a major pain point. You know, it's like, eh, stop the pain. You, I got to stop the pain or I've got to stop the bleeding. That's usually when it happens. Yeah. I think there's a saying that's like change happens for two reasons, vision or crisis. Yeah. Most often the latter, maybe. Most often the latter, because I think if things are going really well, you're not, you're not really going to take your eye off that ball. Fair. So, and we didn't, our, our eye was on the ball. And when you opened the door for the world to, to see your story, you know, in, in the personal brand, what were the results that, that you've seen? Oh, it's, it's been just remarkable. You know, it's like, it's, it's a little weird because the, almost the more vulnerable you are, mm -hmm. the more that comes in. Yeah. But, you know, but it doesn't, that doesn't come without a price because it can be cathartic to be very vulnerable and put yourself out there, but it can also too, especially if you're an introvert, it can feel tiring and draining or you second guess it of like, Whoa, was that too much? Should I not done that? And, and then also if you have a partner, you have to weigh that out because it, and you know, I've kind of, I've gone through that on my social, on my Insta where I've had to really be careful about what I put because I don't want to drag other people along who have not accepted an invitation to come along. Yeah. Yeah. I got, uh, I got reprimanded for that one before. <laughs> yes. I always ask permission. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I learned my lesson. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. If you see my Instagram post today announcing this, I, I often put a, a blur over. Oh, that was, <laughs> I was wondering who that was. Uh, for those listening, yeah, there was a post with you over looking over a videographer's shoulder. 
<laughs> whose face is blurred out. Now I get the joke, Alana. Yeah. Uh, that's my funny. following gets it, but oh, no, I get it now. That was great. Oh my gosh, that's oh. so funny. I, <laughs> I've lost my train of thought now. Um, <laughs> so I often get asked the question. Of where's the line between being vulnerable, as you just said, and oversharing? Do you have any tools or or, or techniques to identifying that line? Uh, you kind of were alluding to it, like sometimes you know it comes with a price when you're being vulnerable. You get some attention, but also you question yeah. things. I don't have advice. Yeah, I think you have to cross it and know when you're where <laughs> yours is. Yeah. You know, you have to cross it at least once, and then you know. But. Uh, so that comes up in a lot of like storytelling workshops because people are starting to understand, like if you do open up, you know, it, it, it kind of generates connection and you've kind of said that mm -hmm. uh, as well. Why do you think that is when you're vulnerable that the more people seem to come to, to your post or interact or engage with it? Because we all have those things. So you're mirroring and it helps people feel seen That's everything. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's, I, I really think that it's that simple. How does one, you've got this expression, manufacturing creativity mm -hmm. that you use a lot. And I think there's a good group of people, a good population of people that think maybe she's born with it. <laughs> um <laughs> Thanks for the chuckle there on that one. Um, you know, where they think that, oh, he's so creative. She's so creative. But it sounds like what you're implying is that you can manufacture it. How does one go about that? Well, you know, it, it's really interesting because I think the manufacturing creativity is part of where that came from is like we're makers. We, we make so many things and the it's also kind of a spinoff of you know where we live we live in a former mill town and the we have a lot of um boundaries here so <laughs> the name kind of was a riff off of our geography a little bit but then it really kind of got rooted into the fact that we creativity you are you're making there's always going to be a result so it's not no, that's not actually true. I guess you can have a creative thought. But in our instance, what we are doing is we are making. We are either making brands, building brands, or physically making things. We built sets for, you know, we build sets for a lot of our video work that we do. And um, so that's the root of the manufacturing creativity. We're also making creativity, if that makes any sense. It, it sounds kind of... No, I'm with it but that that's it and yeah. i actually to your point about a creative thought no i agree with you like in my opinion and maybe it's harsh but like it it doesn't exist until it exists right like we all have great ideas yeah uh, execution is everything and so i i'm with you 100 percent. like okay. it's something yeah. that is made yeah i mean you can have a creative thought but then it's just gone unless you turn it into something and, and i don't well, exactly. I, I, I don't how many times have you said Oh my God, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. Oh, oh, I thought of that and I didn't. Or I thought of that. Yeah, exactly. That's, the worst one, That's right? what I'm saying. Like, uh, I don't think people understand how, like, how can I word this? Like, I don't want to say unimpressive, but just like 
everyone, lots of people have great ideas all day long. Like it's not unique. That's the way I'll put it. It's not unique to have a great creative thought, in my opinion. What's unique is having the gumption, the wherewithal, the discipline, the commitment to actually execute that that awesome creative thought that you had. And that's why we're back to kind of this balance where it's like it's art and science. You know, mm-hmm. you have to show up and work even though it is emotional. Um, and that's got like I get excited because my whole life has kind of existed in between two extremes. And a lot of the work that I do and the conversation I have conversations I have on this show bring me back to that point. And I, I just love it so much. Mm. Um, what is the next evolution of your personal brand? Where do you think you're headed? Where would you like to head next, if anywhere? Well, I don't know what the next one is because I'm so early into this one. Um, and you know, if I have to really think about it, um, I, for me, what I want to be able to do is I want to do low volume, high quality work. Hmm. That that's always been my goal. You know, it's, it's always the, the most bang for the buck. And, you know, if I'm talking about the business side of it, but I want to be able to have time and space to do my very best work. And I've been kind of of the opinion that real, that craft takes time. Craft takes pause and if you know we're having to just like churn and you know go 100 miles an hour the quality is going to come down you only kind of get to pick you know two you know there's a whole really great uh graphic that floated out there in the graphic design community uh, yeah. maybe you're familiar i'm familiar with. I can't yeah. it all now but you get to pick well, no. yeah, it's 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 fast, uh, cheap, um, and fast, quality, yeah. right? Yeah, so you fast, can either, cheap quality. And you can only have those. two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I and I just I firmly believe that, and I want more of that in my life. That's really important to me, and especially as like you know, I just turned fifty five yesterday, and I'm kind of you know I'm entering that really that the last season ish, if you will, of that career, and I want the quality of that work. You know, and I see myself as being somebody who will work until the day I die. Same. I enjoy it. I enjoy helping people, doing things, contributing in in that way. So it's not like, oh, I'm like working till 60 and then I'm going to call it a day. I don't foresee that in my future. But if the brand was going, my personal brand was going to evolve, that is where it would evolve would be so that I can do the best quality work as possible. I totally get it. I honestly, I think that is the goal of all, all creatives. I I believe, I mean, we start yeah. off and you kind of have to grind it out at first, but that's what I think where ultimately most of us try to, to try to drive high quality, low volume work. It sounds, right. sounds right. Nice. And that's where, you know, it's, it's interesting because I guess if there's an evolution, AI is new to me this year. Well, new in the sense of like I'm heavily utilizing it. That's been a major introduction. And I think if there was going to be an evolution, it's going to be how that finds its way into my work more than it is now. Because everything now that you're seeing on LinkedIn, most like a chunk of those visuals are AI. There's, There's things that I've made. And so what I love about it is the most I love about it 
is that it truly has freed me up to be more creative. If AI can bring and take care of this, these rudimentary things that I, I spend as a creative so much time doing or I have to pay somebody else to do, so that's money out of my pocket. If that now I have more space for maybe deeper thinking, maybe higher creativity, maybe elevating an idea, it's a win. It's a win. So that's where I see maybe my brand evolving. I think that's a great place to 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 stop for today and so refreshing uh, to hear because I think a lot of creatives are very nervous about this evolution, this transformation. And yeah. and I, I tend to I tend to side with you on this. I, I think that it's you know, there are certain things that can replace and certain things that can't. And if it does worry you, that might be that might be for a reason that, that we need to dive into a little bit. But I think what you yeah. said was just so, so beautiful. Actually, it's like, it it opens you up and gives you the freedom to be more creative. Like that's, that's really, really great to hear. Alana, mm -hmm. thank you so much for spending some time with me. Today. Oh, thanks Rain. This has been my pleasure. All mine. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully we'll have you back on and I look forward to seeing your, your content out there in LinkedIn and Instagram land. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye now. Bye. <laughs> My name is Rain Bennett. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow. And that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab. This podcast is a Six Second Stories production. Six Second Stories is a story coaching and consulting company that builds online education, in-person and virtual training, and digital products that help businesses master storytelling to find their ideal customers and market to them effectively. You can learn more at sixsecondstories.com and purchase the book Six Second Stories at Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, or rainbennett.com slash sixsecondstories. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast. And I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.